It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 109, The Legacy of Absalom. Generations after King David, a father took his two boys outside the city walls of Jerusalem. Once the group left the city, the boys were filled with questions as to their destination. As they walked outside the city along a well-beaten path, Father, where are you taking us? What is our destination? We didn't bring supplies if we're going far off. Where are you taking us? Boys, trust me. We are going somewhere where all Hebrew boys must go. It's not far from here. Father, is it about the heroes of the past? I'm afraid it is not, son. Then who, Father? Who will you be telling us about today? The father dodged their questions until they arrived at a mausoleum outside of the city. Its eastern influence and architecture made it stand out from their memories of other structures, and its imposition stood out against the olive trees dotting the stark countryside. One of the boys walked closer and began to put his hand on the monument, until he reached back terrified as he read the word that had become symbolic for the word rebellion and sin and trouble in their land. The word engraved on the mausoleum was Absalom. In this episode, we conclude the rebellion of Absalom and discuss his legacy in Israel. At this point, our story unfolds like a political drama. Absalom enters Jerusalem and needs political advice as to his next move, whether to attack David right now when he is not ready or accumulate his forces and attack David when he has pulled together as many soldiers as possible. Well, Ahithophel has always been with Absalom, and he was considered the wisest counselor in all the land. But David had other counselors like Hushai, who is back in Jerusalem with the purpose of playing Absalom for a fool. And let's remember David's prayers that Ahithophel's counsel would be turned into foolishness. Well, Hushai convinces Absalom he is now loyal to Absalom and not his father, and Absalom falls for it. But before Hushai can give Absalom any misleading information, Ahithophel convinces Absalom to sleep with David's remaining ten concubines from the roof of his palace, which is just fitting irony because this was the place where David originally committed adultery in his heart with Bathsheba when he saw her from his rooftop. What goes around comes around. Next to Hithophel presented Absalom with the following advice, Second Samuel 17. Ahithophel said to Absalom, I would choose 12,000 men set out tonight in pursuit of David. I would attack him while he is weary and weak. 
I would strike him with terror, and then all the people with him will flee. I would strike down only the king and bring all the people back to you. The death of the man you seek will mean the return of all. All the people will be unharmed. This plan seemed good to Absalom and to all the elders of Israel. So Ahithophel gave the counsel of quickly pursuing David and overtaking him before he gets out of Judah. While David was short on supplies and weary from mourning in the misery of the last episode. But on a serious note, the mighty men would have been way too much for any army. But if Absalom was to defeat David, this was probably his best advice to strike him while he had the chance and the advantage, and to try to ambush David and only take out David and not his followers. But David's prayer was answered, and Ahithophel's advice was turned into foolishness. 2 Samuel 17.5 But Absalom said, Summon also Hushai the archite, so we can hear what he has to say as well. When Hushai came to him, Absalom said, Ahithophel has given this advice. Shall we do what he says? If not, give us your opinion. Hushai replied to Absalom, The advice Ahithophel has given is not good at this time. You know your father and his men. They are fighters and as fierce as a wild bear robbed of her cubs. Besides, your father is an experienced fighter. He will not spend the night with the troops. Even now, he is hidden in a cave in some other place. If he should attack your troops first, whoever hears about it will say, There has been a slaughter among the troops who follow Absalom. Then even the bravest soldier, whose heart is like the heart of a lion, will melt with fear. For all Israel knows that your father is a fighter and that those with him are brave. So I advise you, let all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, as numerous as the sand on the seashore, be gathered to you, with you yourself leading them into battle. Then we will attack him wherever he may be found, and we will fall on him as dew settles on the ground. Neither he nor any of his men will be left alive. And if he withdraws into a city, then all Israel will bring ropes to that city, and will drag it down to the valley until not so much as a pebble is left. Absalom and all the men of Israel then said, The advice of Hushai the archite is better than that of Ahithophel. For the Lord had determined to frustrate the good advice of Ahithophel in order to bring disaster on Absalom. Alright, so Absalom agrees with Hushai and his bad advice. Instead, thwarting the words of Ahithophel, I'm telling you, it's like a political drama. Next, Hushai sends words to Zadok and Abiathar to get word to David to hurry and get away from the land of Judah to safety and prepare defenses elsewhere. Now our story takes a turn as a spy adventure. 2 Samuel 17.15 Hushai told Zadok and Abiathar the priest, Ahithophel has advised Absalom and the elders of Israel to do such and such, but I have advised them to do so and so. Now send a message at once and tell David, Do not spend the night at the fords in the wilderness. Cross over without fail, or the king and all the people with them will swallow you up. Jonathan and Ahimeaz were staying at Enrogel. A female servant was to go and inform them, and they were to go and tell King David, for they would not risk being seen entering the city. But a young man saw them and told Absalom. So the two of them left at once, went to the house of a man in Barim, and he had a well in his courtyard, and they climbed down into it. His wife took a covering, spread it out over the opening of the well, and scattered grain over it. No one knew anything about it. And when Absalom's men came to the woman at the house, and they said, Where are Ahimeaz and Jonathan? 
The woman answered, They crossed over the brook, and the men searched but found no one, so they returned to Jerusalem. I mean, one could really have fun with the types and shadows and even consider similar accounts of two spies hiding, helped by a woman. But I'll leave that for you for the sake of time. Second Samuel 17.21 After they had gone, the two men climbed out of the well and went to inform King David. They said to him, Set out and cross the river at once. Ahithophel has advised such and such against you. So David and all the people with them set out and crossed the Jordan. By daybreak, no one was left who had not crossed the Jordan. Now the next scene is so similar to another a thousand years later. It's just crazy, and it doesn't require much to consider the other traitor that does the same thing about a thousand years later. 2 Samuel 17.23 When Ahithophel saw that his advice had not been followed, he saddled his donkey, set out for his house in his hometown. He put his house in order and then hanged himself. So he died and was buried in his father's tomb. 2 Samuel 17.24 David went to Maonaim, and Absalom crossed the Jordan with all the men of Israel. Absalom had appointed Amasa over the army in place of Joab. So Absalom went after David, and his commander was a foreigner named Amasa. Now David brought his forces into a city called Maonaim, north of the tribal lands of Benjamin. So like a lot of Bible battles, we don't have a lot of detail. So this is where we're going to call upon our old friend Josephus, who we've neglected for a while because Josephus covers battles in pretty good amount of detail. Here is Josephus' account of the Battle of Ephraim Wood and the showdown between David and his faithful and the forces of his rebellious son, Absalom. Absalom got together a vast army of the Hebrews to oppose his father and passed therewith over the river Jordan and sat down not far off Maonaim in the country of Gilead. He appointed Amasa to be the captain of all his host. But when David had numbered his followers and found them to be about 4,000, he resolved not to tarry till Absalom attacked him, but set over his men captains of thousands and captains of hundreds, and divided his army into three parts. The one part he committed to Joab, the next to Abishai, Joab's brother, and the third to Ittai, David's companion and friend, but one who had came from the city Gath. Then did Joab put his army in battle array over against the enemy in the great plain, where he had a wood behind him. Absalom also brought his army into the field to oppose him. Upon the joining of the battle, both sides showed great actions with their hands and their boldness, the one side exposing themselves to the greatest hazard and using their utmost alacrity that David might recover his kingdom, and the other being no way deficient either in doing or suffering, that Absalom might not be deprived of that kingdom and be brought to punishment by his father for his imprudent attempt against him. Those also that were the most numerous were solicitous that they might not be conquered by those few who were with Joab and with the other commanders, because they would be a greater disgrace to them, while David's soldiers strove greatly to overcome so many tens of thousands as the enemy had with them. Now David's men were conquerors, as superior in strength and skill in war, so they followed the others as they fled away through the forest and valleys. Some they took prisoners, 
and many they slew, and more in the flight than in the battle, for there fell about twenty thousand that day. So the mighty men and their accompaniment just crushed Absalom's regular forces, and this is where the biblical account gets pretty interesting. We shift back to the biblical account, and we go with the New King James Version for a brief moment because it describes a scene better. 2 Samuel 28, 7. The people of Israel were overthrown there before the servants of David, and a great slaughter of 20,000 took place that day. For the battle there was scattered over the face of the whole countryside, and the woods devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. If that just sounded weird to you, it does to me as well. The forest devoured up more men than the sword. I've always thought this curious, and it gets more interesting, because the Hebrew doesn't give you a lot of clarity. The Hebrew reads, devoured. The forest devoured more men than the sword. Hmm, that's interesting. Don't know what to make of it exactly. But then again, earlier it stated, the whole countryside mourned for David. Sounds like something out of the Lord of the Rings or Narnia, doesn't it? And if you think it ends here, it doesn't. The account continues. 2 Samuel 18.9 Then Absalom met the servants of David. Absalom rode on a mule. The mule went under the thick boughs of a great terebinth tree, and his head caught in the terebinth, so that he was left hanging between heaven and earth, and the mule that was under him went on. Alright, so our forest that devoured men and armies now snatched up Absalom from his mule and held him up captive like a prisoner. Cursed is anyone who is hung on a tree. Interesting. Honestly, don't know what to make of it. But here is Absalom, captured by the branches of a tree, by his hair. So we'll conclude this episode with the teachings of Jewish tradition, which speak of the lessons of Absalom. Next, a soldier sees Absalom and goes back and tells Joab, who reprimands the soldier for not killing him. But the soldier rebukes Joab, stating the king wanted him alive. Instead, Joab takes justice in his own hands, which will forever turn King David against him. Second Samuel 18.14 Then Joab said to the soldier, I cannot linger with you. And he took three spears in his hand and thrust them through Absalom's heart while he was still alive in the midst of the terebinth tree. Man, this Joab is such an unmerciful guy. Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. All right, check this out. If we don't have enough allusion to nature acting per se out of nature, here's another one. And he took three spears in his hand and thrust them through Absalom's heart while he was still alive in the midst of the terebinth tree. The word midst implies the heart, or within the tree, deep in its belly or heart. This compares to Jonah, who is in the heart of the whale, from Matthew twelve, forty. Crazy, huh? Future Jewish writers will really cue in on this interesting use of words. Second Samuel eighteen fifteen, and ten young men who bore Joab's armor surrounded Absalom and struck and killed him. So Joab blew the trumpet, and the people returned from pursuing Israel. For Joab held back the people, and they took Absalom and cast him into a large pit in the woods, 
and laid a large heap of stones over him. Then all Israel fled, everyone to his own tent. Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and set up a pillar for himself, which is in the king's valley. For he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. He called the pillar after his own name, and to this day it is called Absalom's Monument. To conclude this episode of Message to Kings, we go back to the account at the beginning of the episode when the father walked his sons to the mausoleum of Absalom. Like most archaeology in the Holy Land, there is dispute as to the authenticity of the actual monument currently residing in the Kidron Valley called Absalom's Monument, Pillar, or Mausoleum. But it's still common for fathers to take their sons to this place and to teach them the story of Absalom for storytelling is part of their culture and the testimony of their heritage. In our account, the father recounts the story of Absalom to teach them the story, for even a dark testimony can prevent the repeat of the same error. To explain the purpose of fathers taking their sons to the mausoleum of Absalom, we turn to an excerpt account of Absalom from the rabbinical literatures from JewishEncyclopedia.com. While this site and work quotes and pulls from mostly Jewish traditional sources, its parallels are profound. This and many other things Jewish fathers relay to their children to learn the lessons of Absalom. The life and death of Absalom offered to the rabbis a welcome theme wherewith to warn the people against false ambition, vainglory, and unfilial conduct. The vanity with which he displayed his beautiful hair, the rabbis say, became a snare and a stumbling block. By his long hair, the Nazarite entangled the people to rebel against his father, and by it, he himself became entangled to fall a victim to his pursuers. And again elsewhere, by his vile stratagem, he deceived and stole three hearts, that of his father, of the elders, and finally the whole nation of Israel, and for this reason, three darts were thrust into his heart to end his treacherous life. More striking is the following. Did one ever hear of the oak tree having a heart? And yet, in the oak tree in whose branches Absalom was caught, we read that upon its heart he was held up still alive, while the darts were thrust through him. This is to show that when a man becomes so heartless as to make war against his own father, Nature itself takes on a heart to avenge the deed. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Feel free to visit the website, messagedekings.com, or if you want to chat, email us at messagedekings at gmail.com.